Yet not I, but through Christ in me. It's amazing and a wonderful blessing that that which God calls us to do, that which God commands us to do, God enables us to do through His Son, Christ Jesus, who indwells us. It's exciting to know that God has called us to a higher calling as believers. He's called us to bring glory to Him in every aspect of our lives. And so as we started this series back at the first of the year, which is just a few weeks ago, the series is entitled, How We Increasingly, or How Can We Increasingly Glorify God in This Calendar Year? Sometimes we speak in such broad terms, and we get such a a 5,000-foot view, if you will, of life, that there's not anything that's immediately applicable. And I want us to focus on what are we doing today? What are we doing this week? What are we doing next week? What are we doing in the weeks to come so that we don't get to the end of 2022 and be in the same place that we were at the end of 2021. More growth, more progress, more uh, uh, greater steps in becoming what God would have us to become. And so as we began, we, looked, we started looking in the book of Colossians, just looking at Paul's greetings. And if you have your Bibles with you, please go ahead and open them to Colossians chapter 1. You will see the greeting of this letter. This letter is an epistle, that's what a letter is, that the Apostle Paul is writing to a local congregation. And we took time to back up and focus on the greeting itself to learn some things that we need to learn so that we may, at least in some aspects, emulate Christ as displayed through the life of Paul. The first thing that we said is for this year, we need to have a focus. We need to have a target. And not only this year, for the rest of our lives. We need to know our vocation. We need to know our calling, our voca, that which God has called us to be and called us to do. We need to get our lives on target. Too many people just go through life responding to this or responding to that pressure or being tossed to and fro or not having any firm idea or purpose or mission in their calling in life. And and they're just spinning their wheels. And we need to make sure that we, first of all, do like the Apostle Paul and go where God leads to know what God is calling us to do. How would God have us engage our lives, whether it be our career, whether it be our current place of work or the next place of work that he has for us, whether it be how we spend our our, um, leisure time, our downtime, our family time. What is God calling us to do? We started this by looking at Paul's testimony in the beginning of this letter where he introduces himself by saying, Paul, an apostle, a sent one, an apostle of Christ Jesus. And then that wonderful statement, by the will of God, Paul knew his life was on target. He was following where God was leading, and he was holding nothing back. That's a massive truth, and it's a place that we started in this study. I would encourage you, if you haven't been there, to go back and look at that study. We need to make sure that we're following in the way that God is leading, that we're not selfishly or even just being deceived and holding things back that God would have us release and surrender to Him. The next phrase in this greeting is, And Timothy, our brother. We see that Paul did not go it alone, and that was the next thing that we studied that we don't go through this alone. God has determined for us to experience the humility, if you will, the challenges, the the struggles of 
being partners together in this work, of finding a person or two people or three people who are heading in the same direction and walking arm in arm and shoulder to shoulder. Verse 2, he says, to the saints and the faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. This was last week, and it does not escape me, by the way, the irony that the sermon was on the importance of the church family on a Sunday that we were not able to gather together in person. I thank God again for the technology that allowed us to gather together online. But And I do have to tell you, um, I, I preached last Sunday standing in front of the fireplace, which was a win. I preached last Sunday with just a laptop folded up in front of me. And I don't know if you've ever been in that kind of situation, but I had to look at my face the whole time I was preaching. And, and let me just say that I feel I have a new sympathy for you on Sunday morning. And also that I would much rather see your face while I'm preaching than I had my own. But the importance of what it means to be a family of faith, that we come together, that God has called, the church is God's plan to glorify himself. The church is God's plan to make his name great in the world. The church is God's plan to see the gospel proclaimed and to see Christians grown and developed and equipped and deployed. The church there's no plan B. The church is God's plan. And that we need to reflect that in our priorities. And that includes attendance, but it's more than attendance. It means that we participate in each other's lives. We'll look at that a little bit more today. And he calls them saints and faithful brothers. We need to learn to view the bride of Christ as God views the bride of Christ, as Christ views his bride. And so that's important that we do that. And it also means that we learn to work together, that we learn to open our arms, our hearts, and our lives to one another. Now, this morning, the last phrase in this greeting from the Apostle Paul is one that we're very familiar with. It is, grace to you and peace from God our Father. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning. How can we be a channel of God's grace and peace. Father, again, we thank you for this very simple passage, this greeting to a letter, and the truths that it holds that can be applied to our lives should be, must be applied to our lives if we're going to increasingly glorify you in this coming year. Father, as we think about these things, as we open our heart to your Holy Spirit to teach us and to instruct us, I pray that you will change our minds, that you will change our thinking, that you'll adjust our beliefs to be in alignment with your word. And that the fruit of that will be lives that are lived differently. Lives that are lived to your glory. Lives that are lived for your grace and your peace to be spread throughout the world as you have spread your grace and your peace in us and to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that we will understand this truth and we'll be able to apply it to our lives and how we spend our resources and how we spend our time and our energy, the focus of our lives. I pray that you will adjust the words that we say in the manner in which we say them. I pray, Father, that you'll adjust adjust the things that we put on our calendar and how full it is. I pray, Father, that you will adjust our own hearts, the, the work that you have done and are continuing to do there. And I pray, Father, that you'll be glorified 
in what takes place in us individually and as family groups. And I'm praying specifically as Paul addressed this letter to the church at Colossae that you'll address this truth to the church at Pendleton Street Baptist Church and that we will reflect these truths in our lives increasingly in the coming year. We can do it. We can do it because it's not us, but it's Christ in us who works all things for our good and works all things for your glory. Make that a reality for us. In your name I pray. Amen. Grace and peace. When I was working with the Baptist Student Union some years ago, there was a man named Emory Smith who worked at the South Carolina Baptist Convention, a good and godly man, great guy, worked with Baptist student ministries all across the state. And he would send out correspondence, and he always used as his signature, instead of sincerely or in Christ or some other typical signature, he would always put grace and peace as his signature. And I thought, man, that's great. He is emulating the Apostle Paul. And that was, for many years, I thought simply just a normal New Testament greeting. But I have since, in my studies, come to realize that it's not. The normal greeting is not charis. By the way, the Greek word for grace is charis, C-H-A-R-I-S, charis. But there was a word very similar to it that's used as greeting that was the common greeting of the day, and it was kyre or kyrene. You see it, Jesus used it. It means greetings or salutations. You see it as the the first word of uh, James chapter 1, or in the Greek, the last word in that sentence of of James chapter 1, verse 1. And it means welcome or greetings or salutations. Uh, Paul, however, uses a distinction from that. Rather than simply kyre or kyrene, plural, he uses charis, grace. And I believe that's because Paul knew exactly what grace was. Now, all of us who have been raised in church or have been Sunday school graduates, how would you define grace in a very short phrase? Grace is God's unmerited favor. Grace is God's unmerited favor. It's not something that we earn. It is God's favor, His goodness that He gives upon us. And typically when I preach on that, we preach on the fact that we can't earn it, that it is unmerited. But I want us to think for just a moment about what the favor means because grace is favor. Unmerited is the modifier. The grace of God is that God smiles upon us, that we are not under the wrath of God, that we are in a right relationship with God through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul is is expressing in this greeting in a very mild way that which characterized the passion of his life, which was that people experience the favor of God, that people be right with God, that people experience the grace of God. Now, if your life is going to be on target as a believer, if you're going to be increasingly glorifying God in your life, You will be, as Christ is, as he lives his life in you, you will be as the Apostle Paul and as Peter and other godly people are, you will prioritize helping others experience the grace of God. That's the first point on your outline. I want to make sure that you get that written down because it needs to be a priority in our life. And now this is not news to you. This is not new information. You know that from this pulpit, we've talked about sharing, let's talk about Jesus was a sermon series that we did, how to share the gospel with people, that it is important that we let people know a few things that we they learn and begin to understand biblically that they are what Ephesians chapter 2 calls children of wrath, 
deserving the wrath of God because of their sin. Their sins have separated between them and their God, between us and our God. And it is only by the grace of God, the favor of God that we cannot earn, that we have life. And that favor is expressed through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and His shed blood applied to us. And when we respond to Him in repentance and faith, then we become alive. And i got to tell you, folks, this matters. This is, this, is a, a, this is so important, and, and we talk about it a good bit. We need to get more engaged in it personally. We need to have a passion that lost people hear the gospel. We need to be concerned with our fellow workers on the job or with the people that we see where we shop or the friends that we hang out with, or our family members, some that you see often and some that you will only see every once in a while. Listen, we need to be concerned about the folks who work at the front desk right out here. We need to be concerned about David and Danny and the guys who work back here. We need to be concerned in the day in and day out of life that we are, first of all, displaying the character of Christ in our lives, that our speech reflects His character, that there's nothing in our life that would serve as a stumbling block or a barrier to the gospel. But then the next stage of that, the normal next stage of that, is we embrace passionately the role that the Holy Spirit has given us to be ambassadors for Christ. God has committed to us this ministry of reconciliation. And we speak as though it were God speaking through us. It is God speaking through us when we speak His Word into the lives of others. You need to be friendly. Pretty basic, right? You need to be nice. You need to be loving. But it's not sufficient to say, I hope people simply look at my life and see that there's something different. The next step to that is to actually open the Word of God or to sit down and have a conversation with someone and ask them, What do they know about Jesus? What do they think about Jesus? And open the Word of God and speak truth into their life. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Was the Apostle Paul passionate that people experience the grace of God? Yes, Sunday school question. Yes, the Apostle Paul was passionate. How passionate? How passionate? He was called as the missionary to what? To the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. And yet, Paul was a Jew. Now, God had given him a calling. I've got a mission. I've got a calling. I'm supposed to be the missionary, the evangelist to the Gentiles. But I myself and a Jew. Did, did he care more about the Gentile than the Jew? Open your Bibles or flip over, turn over to the book of Romans chapter 9. In Romans chapter 9, we get just a glimpse of the passion of the Apostle Paul. Not even for his primary target group, but for his... Nationality, his brothers and sisters in Judaism. He says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. He's being as clear as he can be. This is, these are passionate, strong words. That I have, what? Great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Why? Because I could wish that I myself were accursed, that I were still under the wrath of God. And I were cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, 
according to the flesh. And if you look over in chapter 10, verse 1, he reiterates the same thing. Just on the next page, I, I would that all of Israel would know this salvation, would know Christ Jesus. Listen, what are the words that he uses here? Sorrow, anguish, unceasing anguish. Why? Because I know there are people in my life. I know that there are people in my nationality. I know that there are my brothers and sisters at one level who are not yet my brothers and sisters in Christ. And his passion was such that he he said, listen to this statement. You know, we don't want to be made uncomfortable to go to talk to somebody about Christ. Paul says, I am willing to have my salvation rescinded to be placed back under wrath if it would result in their salvation. Is that a passion? Part of what we need to keep before us, because it's so easy to let this slide, part of what we need to keep before us is a passionate desire for people who are not saved to experience the grace of God. That means praying for them. That means speaking with them. That means working in missions and ministries and and, and outreach activities and in-reach activities that highlight the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It will redirect your life. It will redirect your calendar. It will redirect your priorities. If you begin to look, not people as what they can or cannot do for me, but what about their eternity? What about their walk? What is in their best interest? Are they right with God? Now, here's the great thing. They can be. Rather than under the wrath of God, they can be under the grace of God. Rather than an eternity separated from God, they can have an eternity with God. Rather than living in darkness and confusion and being deceived, they can live in light and in fellowship with God and in fellowship with others who know God. As the Spirit of God convicts their heart, as the Spirit of God draws them, as the Spirit of God illuminates them and brings them to life, as the Spirit of God grants them repentance. And I want you to know clearly that salvation belongs to the Lord, and we have our role. We are to be witnesses through the power of the Holy Spirit. Just like Paul told them in Acts chapter 1, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth, he didn't miss anybody. And we shouldn't miss anybody in our passion that they experience the grace of God. But... Paul was more than, his, his passion that people experienced God's grace wasn't simply for the Israelites, and it wasn't simply for the Gentiles who were lost, who were worshiping Roman pagan gods and no gods and false gods. He was also passionate that those who had been saved, those who had experienced the grace of God in their life, those were who, who were judicially, forensically cleansed by the blood of Christ and placed in Christ, he was passionate that they walk in the grace of God, that we experience the grace of God. Do you remember what he wrote to the church at Galatia? The Christians were gathered in Galatians, and they had been saved by grace through faith, and they put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they were walking with him. And then some teachers came in and said, well, that's not really enough. You also have to be circumcised, and you have to follow Jewish law, and you have to... And they added all these things to the gospel. And Paul, I can just imagine this little guy red in the face, stomping his feet. That is not true. God's grace is sufficient. 
It is enough. And then he laments in Galatians chapter 5, how quickly are you fallen from the truth? And it is so easy for us to either be overtaken in a sin, Galatians chapter 5 verse 14, to walk after the flesh rather than the spirit, or it is so easy for us to be distracted from the things that God calls us to do and calls us to be, that we can be saved by grace through faith and then all of a sudden put ourselves back under bondage by not walking in grace. In Paul's passion, his desire was that we experience God's grace and God's power in our life as believers day by day by day. Now, you and I need to make sure that we're living in the grace of God. What what are epistles? Epistles are Paul's letters to the churches helping them to understand truth so that they can walk in God's grace day by day by day. So that they can have a right relationship with God day by day by day. Not be under God's discipline, not be wondering, not be going astray, but giving good, solid, biblical instruction, God's Word conveyed to them so that they can live today in right relationship with God. In thy presence is fullness of joy. Is that true? It is when God smiles at you. It is when you can smile at God with a clean conscience and be right with God. Paul cared for believers. And if we are going to increasingly, listen, if we're going to increasingly glorify God in 2022, we have to care more for brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to, we need to expand our circle of attention. We need to be willing to look beyond our comfort and our needs and, and quite frankly, our schedule or what's convenient for us. And we need to be willing to get engaged in other people's lives. I want people to experience, I want you to increasingly experience the knowledge of God and His truth and to experience it in your life as you walk in obedience to Him. And that should be our desire. We help people increasingly experience the grace of God as believers. Just to to make sure that you know that was such a passion of Paul's. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Go ahead and if you have uh, your Bibles open on your lap. Uh, Paul is writing his second letter to the church at Corinth. In Corinth, there's some false teachers who have come in and they're claiming to be the Jewish Christian leaders and they're claiming all this authority and they are dismissing Paul and they're critical of Paul. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul is basically giving a defense of his ministry and he's describing his own work. And he's real uncomfortable about doing it. A lot of us like to talk about ourselves. Paul was pretty uncomfortable talking about himself. You guys know what I mean? Can you relate? I don't want to be put on the spot. I really don't want to talk about myself. But Paul does. And he even says, I'm speaking like a fool. <laughs> this is so bad. Hey, I, I, want, I don't want to boast in anything save Christ and, and him crucified. But I, they say they have credentials. I have better credentials. And he, he, he defends his ministry. But here's how he describes his investment in the life of the church. He talks about being beaten and being stoned and being shipwrecked. All because he's expended his life so that people walk in God's grace, so that people know what obedience is and walk in obedience and experience the grace of God in daily living. And he says, and apart from other things, I have this daily pressure on me. It is this anxiety, this concern, it's probably a better word, this concern that I have for who? For the lost people who aren't saved yet? No, for you, for the churches, for the believers who are gathered in this place and in another place. How did he relate to them? He says, who's weak and I'm not weak? Who is made to fall and I'm not indignant? Now, I've got to tell you that that word indignant in the ESV 
is a weak word. I don't know if any of you have the King James Version. The King James Version says, who sins and I don't burn. The Greek word is the Greek word. It starts with pyro, (laughs) P-Y-R-O. Some of us will be familiar. That's like pyromaniac or it means fire. A good translation is burn. He says, listen, when I see a brother or sister in Christ who is weak, When I see a brother and sister in Christ, Galatians chapter 6, who is overtaken or ensnared in a fault, who's been deceived. When I see one stumble and fall, what it evokes in me is not apathy. Boy, I sure hope to get over that. What it evokes in me is not a superficial concern. Lord, help them out. They're stumbling, they're falling. What it creates in me, the Apostle Paul says, is a fire a pain, uh, maybe an anger, certainly a burning within me that they've fallen and he rushes to help them stand again, to understand what is wrong, to understand the, the sin, to have their eyes open to the truth of God's word. And so if you and I, listen, if we're going to increasingly glorify God in 2022, this year, we're already, um, what, 23 days in January? If we're going to increasingly glorify God this year, we need to increasingly prioritize helping others experience the grace of God, the lost experiencing God's saving grace, and helping one another grow in grace. Paul says, grace to you. Grace to you. And peace. Now, the Greek word for peace is Irene or Irene. I don't know if you know anybody named Irene, but Irene means peace. Agatha means good. That's my one of my favorite names, Agatha. It means good. And Irene means peace. And Paul says, to you I wish not only the grace of God, but I wish peace. You know, every time that I've been able to find in Scripture where there is a commandment that specifically deals with our loving God, there is always the next part of that that deals with our loving other people and caring for other people. You guys remember in Matthew chapter 22 when a lawyer sought to trap Jesus. And he sought to trap Jesus by asking him, what is the greatest commandment? You can look it up. It's in Matthew chapter 2, or you can follow along on the screen. Matthew chapter 2, verse 35 through 40. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. He said, teacher... What is the great commandment in the law? What's the the greatest one? What's the one commandment? If you could boil it down, what's the one? And Jesus replied, and he said, here it is. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And he could have put a period, exclamation mark, and walked away, but he didn't. He goes on to say, and the second is like it. King James, like unto it. The second one hangs on it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend or hang all the law and the prophets. What is it about? Having a right relationship with God and then about having a right relationship with others. The second point on your outline. The first point, we help others increasingly experience the grace of God. We need to be willing to get involved helping others experience peace. And specifically, Peace in relationships. Certainly, 
peace in relationship with God. Scott did a great job teaching on that during Christmas when we talked about Romans chapter 5. Now, because of Christ, we have peace with God the Father, judicial peace, no longer in conflict with God. We are beloved as His children. But now we need to learn to get along. And how are we doing with that? Do you live, lead peaceful lives? Are your lives characterized by peacefulness? I'm not going to get too much into this because I'll rant. But there's so much on the computer today that infects our worlds and our perspectives that is simply an outrage mentality. Uh, There are algorithms that are used. There are different things that just continue to pop up. And frankly, I don't know that we need algorithms. Don't we typically flee or don't we go directly to those things which cause us outrage and to stir up trouble and to allow others to stir up trouble in us? Peace is having a right relationship. It is not holding bitterness It is not holding unforgiveness. It is not sitting in some sort of judgmental attitude. I know God. And obviously you're having a problem. And it's critique and condemnation. What Paul's doing here is he's actively engaged in doing what? In teaching the truth of God so that they might experience, first of all, peace with God, but then peace in relationships with one another. You want to know how to experience peace in relationships with one another? Look at the Pauline epistles. In this epistle, Paul makes it clear. What's his purpose in Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, 28, 29? That I may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. For this I strive, working my through his spirit that works within me. And then in, in Colossians chapter 2, Uh, just at the very beginning of the chapter, he reiterates that again. I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, another local church, and for all those who have not seen me face to face. These are the churches that I've not gone to yet. What? That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding of the knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ Jesus. I'm working for unity, and unity comes from God. I'm working for you to live in peace, and your hearts knit together. And how does that happen? As you increase in the knowledge of God. And so he goes on in Colossians, and he tells husbands, how do you get along with your wives? How do you create peace? Peace in your household. Wives, how do you relate to your husbands? How do you have peace in your household? Peace that honors and glorifies God. Children, how do you relate with kids and how kids relate to their parents? Employers and employees, how do you relate on the job? Very practical instruction for how to live in peace with one another. It's important that we understand that, first of all, it's grace to you, and then it's peace. How do we live in in peace with one another. Paul was committed to helping others experience the grace of God. And he was committed to helping others experience in their peace experience peace in their relationships with one another. Now I gotta tell you, there's some risk involved here because it means you're willing to get involved in people's lives. It means that you're willing when God makes something makes you aware of something that's going on in someone's life. For you to go and say, in a loving manner, 
it looks like you're struggling. It looks like there's a problem here. And, and because I love you, uh, because I want what's best for you, because I want you to be at peace with God and at peace in your relationships, here's what God's Word has to say about this. Can I pray with you about this? Can we talk about this? Can I share with you what, what God's Word has to say about this? And you take the risk. And I will tell you, it is a risk because people will tell you it's none of your business. People will tell you it's not your concern. But I'm here to tell you that blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. I didn't say it. Jesus said it in the Beatitudes. He's talking about those who go and make peace in their community. And in their, here's, here's one of my big, here's a, here's a diagnostic question. When you show up on the scene where there's tension and the potential for conflict, does it get worse or better because you're there? Do you guys know anybody that stirs up drama? Don't point. Do y'all know of people who can go into a tentative situation and make it worse just like that? Well, somebody told me that. Here's what I'd tell them. Well, if somebody did this to me, here's how I'd respond to them. And we speak in absolutes and we speak in, in exaggerations. And rather than getting people focused and peaceful on what's truth and what needs to happen in our lives, we increase the conflict and we increase the fight. Proverbs talks about this a good bit, about one who sows discord, one who plants discord. Folks, if you want to increasingly glorify God, you need to do, first of all, if you're one who stirs up discord, you need to hush. If you can't contribute truth and grace in a conversation, be quiet. Now, that's a very low bar, but everybody ought to be able to be quiet. But far better than just not contributing to the discord, the goal here is that you actually speak in such a way that you mend relationships. That you help people see what's going on in somebody else's mind. That you help people understand what God has to say about what's going on in our own hearts. And then they can apply that truth. They can see something they didn't see. They get affirmation from somebody who's experienced, who's walked in it, and the relationships are strengthened. And peace is strengthened. Now, it's not peace at any cost. There's right and there's wrong. You understand that, right? There's right and there's wrong. And we need to hold the truth. And we need to speak truth in people's lives. But when you speak truth into people's lives, you speak it with grace. You speak it with gentleness. That's what Paul told Timothy. Timothy, a young man, probably in his 30s, at Ephesus, pastoring a church in which there was a lot of conflict and there were people older than him and certainly people younger than him. And Paul, giving his instruction in 2 Timothy, says, Listen, Timothy, buddy, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. Don't go around picking fights. Don't go around stirring stuff up. Don't, don't make the situation worse. Don't be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone. Be able to teach 
patiently enduring evil. You don't have to get your own back. You don't have to justify yourself or defend yourself in every situation. You can trust God to do that in most situations. He will do that sometimes immediately, sometimes later. But what do you do when you're correcting? You correct opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. So we prioritize helping others experience the grace of God in salvation and in growth. And then we, we allow God to use us as we get involved in each other's life, helping people experience peace in relationships. Who are the meanest people you know? What immediately comes to mind when you're asked that question? I don't know. It may be because I'm a pastor. But I will tell you that some of the most bitterest, most bitterest, probably not good English, some of the bitterest people, some of the snappiest, rudest, most sarcastic people I've ever met are people who know what grace is and have, are not walking in grace. Are people who at one time had experienced forgiveness, but now they're under the correction of the Holy Spirit, and rather than yielding to the Holy Spirit, they've got this sense of guilt and wrong, and so they go around just justifying themselves in their own mind, and it makes them hard to get along with. And it makes them bitter and complaining. And rather than extending peace or improving peace or furthering peace in relationships, they contribute to discord and strife and bitterness, sometimes slander, sometimes jealousy, Ephesians chapter 4. And folks, that's a sin. Listen to me. That's a sin. And it does not glorify God. And the call here is that we be vessels to help others increase peace in their relationships with God and relationships with others. Did Paul care about that? Oh, he did. As a matter of fact, just real quick, and I don't even know what time it is. Let me be real quick because this last point is an important one. I am going to get to it. But Paul dealt, he called people out publicly. Now, I'm a preacher's kid, okay? I'm a uh, Southern Baptist country uh, preacher's kid, and we'd be in church. And if my brother, I have a twin brother, and and if, if we were over there with friends and we were talking or playing or be disruptive in the service, my dad unhesitatingly would say, Boys, I can tell you specifically when he said, Marty, go sit with your mother. And I was in middle school. And oh, you ever wish the floor would open up and you'd swallow you down? But I got a red-faced, shamed and embarrassed and went and sat by my mom. Now, I didn't hear anything that went on the rest of the sermon, but I didn't keep anybody else from hearing it either. <laughs> okay? I got called out publicly. I don't know if you've ever been called out publicly. It is not a fun thing. It is not. Uh, one of the things we talked about two weeks ago when we talked about our brother Timothy was you correct in private, you praise in public, and that's normally the way that that takes place. But when it gets bad, Paul even calls people out in public. In Philippians chapter 2, he says, Listen, my heart is bound up in your unity. I care if you're getting along or if you're not. But he goes on in chapter 4, and he says, I pray for unity and peace. And then he says, Now there are two women in your church, Euodia and Sentity, who are 
in disagreement. I'm exhorting you women who have both served beside me in the Lord to get along with one another, and I want the rest of you to help them get along. Isn't that amazing? Do you think unity and peace mattered to Paul? Do you think it matters to the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you think it's part of our calling? We're willing to take a risk to be peacemakers, to reflect the character of Christ. So how do you do all this? It's really simple. Grace to you and peace. What is the last phrase of the greetings in Colossians chapter 1? Grace to you and peace from God our Father. There's one passage you've got to look up. I'll close with this, but it's a real important point. Uh, look up Second Peter chapter uh, 1, verses 1 through 4. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. In Peter's greeting, make a note of this, this is important. In Peter's greeting, he starts by saying, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. He's writing to the church. He, this is how he introduces his letter. To those who have obtained the faith of equal standing to ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's no hierarchy here. Your faith is as valid as mine is through Jesus Christ. May grace and peace, the same greeting that Paul uses, may grace and peace, but he adds to it, be multiplied to you or abound to you. How? In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us everything. Everything. All things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Christ in you. Partakers of the divine nature. Jesus living his life in you and through you. Everything that you need for this is where? It's found in the promises of God. It's found in the knowledge of God. It's found in what God has given us in his word. Let me tell you one of my major concerns. Now, I'm a reader. I think everybody ought to read. Amen? I don't know if we've got any people who are passionate about reading. But you ought to read. Turn the TV off and read something. Sorry. Soapbox. I'll try not to rant and rave, get red in the face and spit over that. But you ought to read. But I want to tell you something. You ought to read the Bible. You ought to read the Bible. I think you ought to read good books that will help you. But everything as a believer, everything that we need to increasingly glorify God in 2022 is found in the promises of God. You want to get involved in someone's life and help their marriage. How do you do that? You take them to the Word of God. Why do we have a pastor of biblical counseling on our staff? Why do we, when we talk to people, point them to the Word of God? Why do we support those who... Why do we read books like Trips, Ted, Ted Trips? But why do we read those books on parenting and on being a pastor and on being a member of a church that are focused on the Word of God and explore the truth and, and explode the reality of the Word of God. Because in the Word of God, all the promises of God have everything that we need for godliness. Everything that we need for life is found in the Word of God. The sufficiency of Scripture. I'm not saying that you should not read other books, but when you know the Word of God and you're reading another book, you can say at that point, this book is a biblical book. It's teaching biblical truth. Or, this is just fluff. 
This is just self-help. This is the power of positive thinking, not the power of the Holy Spirit in my heart and in my life. Everything that we need is found in the Word of God. And if you, and reading supplemental books and stuff, I do, I read all the time. You ought to read those books that go to the Word of God and that correctly expound and illuminate the Word of God. And you hadn't ought to read anything more than you read the Word of God. It ought to be primary on your list. Our daily Bible reading is through the Bible in two years. Not a person in this room can't read through the Bible in two years. We're on Psalm 16 today. We read that part. We're on Jeremiah 20 today. We read that part. Tomorrow we'll be on Psalm 17. Jeremiah 21. Pick it up. Pick it up. I would encourage you, if you're going to read Jeremiah 20 and you haven't been in Jeremiah, back up a few chapters to get some context. Start a little bit earlier in that book. But buddy, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, everything that you need to know to increasingly glorify God, to connect people with the grace of God, to help people live in peace. Husband and wife comes to us and they're having conflict. What do we do? Do we go get some, some psychological uh, resource that's not biblical, that's not the Word of God? No, we go to the Word of God. Parents having trouble with their kids. We go to Scripture. What does God have to say about this? People struggling with dependencies. People struggling with anxiety, people struggling with all of these different things. How do you help someone experience peace in their life and peace in their relationships? The source is in the knowledge of God revealed in the promises of God revealed in the Word of God. Amen? I told Scott, if I didn't mention biblical counseling, he was supposed to stand up and wave. i got to tell you, if you're having trouble and you think, I need help, and you go talk to somebody who's not saved and you're a Christian, you're making one of the biggest mistakes you can make. They're not consulting the God who created you, who designed you, who now lives within you, who has a plan and a target for your life, who indwells you. And that's where you need to go first. First, last, and always. And so there are three points. To increasingly glorify God, we prioritize helping others experience the grace of God. We get involved in helping others experience peace in their relationships. But you need to be the professional. You need to study the Word of God. In order that, you can increase others' knowledge of God through His Word. The greatest thing that you can do is help somebody know how to read the Word of God. How to listen to God in His Word. Amen? Isn't that exciting? I want to be used by God for His glory. I want our church to be used by God for His glory. I want you and I as a family of God to be increasingly used by God throughout the course of this year. So we get our lives on target. We know where God's leading us. We hold nothing back. We take others with us. We commit to the work that God's doing through His local congregation. And we build it. We establish it on the truth of His Word. Amen? Isn't God good? Our future is bright. Our future is bright. Our future, your future is bright this year as you walk in obedience, allowing God to increasingly glorify Himself through you this year. Now, 
We got one more sermon in this series, and then we have a family meeting coming up on February the 6th. On February the 6th, we're going to talk about building and property and progress and all of that sort of thing. We're going to talk about ministry focus and budget and how we're going to conduct ministry through this year and what our ministry priorities are going to be. So it'll be a fun meeting. It'll be over on the other side of the hotel. I, I hope that you come and that you're a part of that. I want us to make sure that we're not off track in these simple truths this morning. We want to be used for God's glory. Father, thank you for this congregation. Thank you for the calling that you have given to us, the target of bringing glory to you that you've placed in our hearts and our lives. And I pray that you'll direct our steps as we do this. I pray, Father, that you'll help us to live increasingly under your grace and obedience to you. But I also pray, Father, that you'll help us to live at peace with one another. Help us to be peacemakers. Help us to be not those who stir up drama and strife, but those who look to you for truth and then convey that truth in gentleness, seeking to restore relationships, seeking to have good relationships ourselves, not being bitter, not being being angry, not being slanderous, not not, uh, uh, being unforgiving, but knowing that we've experienced the grace of God in Christ Jesus and then extending that grace to each other and then helping others being able to do the same thing. Above all, Father, help us to be people of your word. You have given us everything that we need for life and for godliness in the knowledge of God. And we know, God, through your promises, through your revealed word that you have recorded and preserved for us. So help us walk in obedience to you in all of these things, that your name be exalted. In your presence, there is fullness of joy at your right hand. There is rejoicing evermore. We love you and we thank you. In your name I pray. Amen.